You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hi, nerds. This is Sarah and Casey. We are here with a Halloween spectacular episode for you. We, yes. yes. We wanted to do something on the, the creepy, magic, weird, spooky side. Um, and I don't even know how, but we decided what we were going to do was the history of vampires. Ooh. And also, I realize this is our 13th episode. Ooh, so it is. Super spooky. That is perfect. Yeah. I have my pumpkin caramel candle burning oh. and the lights are dimmed and I'm so excited. It's also been a hot minute since we've recorded. It has. Because somebody it's was getting like married. I know. It was very inconvenient for our recording schedule. I know. Very rude. <laughs> it was awesome, though. Um, yeah, so I'm super pumped to get back into this. I'm like a little rusty, but I'm like, you know what? We'll figure it out. It's fine. It'll be fine. You guys will yeah. love it. And we're both very excited about this episode. We both were like, oh, crap. We have to do research. We like kept putting it off and then last night we were both like this is so cool this is great i'm gonna learn everything yep that's exactly what happened and normally i am like i try to be a little bit more on it with research just because i'm doing six thousand things at once but like for some reason and that's why i texted sarah a couple days ago and i was like do you want to move the recording to thursday because it was like friday night or saturday morning and i was like yeah i'm not gonna have this ready i was so excited because i was planning Saturday night I was gonna have to like stay up extra late and do research and then I was like yes let's move it yeah so I'm really excited um we have a ridiculous amount of information for you so um let's just jump right into it so I'm so excited um okay so vampires if you've never heard of them (laughs) Our creatures, hopefully you have, and you're not like, oh my God, what is this? Never heard of it. Um, So vampires are creatures from folklore that notoriously feed on basically what's called the vital essence of living beings, which is literally just like a fancy way of saying they eat blood. Yep. (laughs) So they appear in some form or another in most cultures, and I have like an extensive amount of stuff, which like now that I'm looking at my pages, I'm like... Ooh, this is a lot more than I realized, it's but that's fine. okay. I think for the first um, time, I have more pages than you do. I know. I was like, oh my God, Sarah has more pages than me. Yeah. And I didn't do that thing. My font is like 7,000 yeah. times bigger. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I have a lot of copied Wikipedia quotes in here. That's fine. That's <laughs> the best place to get it from, honestly. Um, and if my students, again, are listening, one, why? And two, you can't use Wikipedia on your Empire's project. So <laughs> We are not being graded okay. on this. And that is the difference. Correct. Do as I say and not as I do. (laughs) So like I said, vampires appear in some form or another in most cultures and they've pretty much been present in history for like pretty much thousands of years, which this is I was like debating on typing this, but I couldn't help it. Like part of me is like, whoa, are they real? Like I I have thoughts on that. Could they be? I have thoughts on that. Yeah. I just feel like there's so much out there about them that I'm like, how are they not real? But, yeah, I mean, we'll get to it. And know, my again, thoughts are like, basically on how do you define a vampire? In some ways, yes. they're real. In some ways, they're not. But right. it yeah. depends on how you're defining it and like what you think is the ultimate characteristic. Because it's not like there aren't people with certain characteristics of vampires, but it's 
the whole being dead part. Um, yes. We'll get into it. Right. Like not being a lot. Exactly. Yeah. So at this point in my research, which was only three bullet points in, I basically had <laughs> the Twilight research vibes, like the scene when Bella is like on her computer in her room and she's researching mm-hmm. vampires. Yep. And she's like zooming in and out on keywords and images and stuff through yep. history. And I know that people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. My friend Ashley knows exactly what I'm talking about <laughs> as a Twihard. Um, <laughs> so I felt hard. come on it's such a good word (laughs) um so for some reason i don't know why i always think of this is so gross i (laughs) i think of hard-ons for like when i say twi hard i think of the word hard-on i don't know why that's fair no, I. It's because you I like you. are all about it. Yeah. <laughs> so people have literally seen vampires in one form or another in hundreds of books, TV shows, video games, movies, all of this like created around this concept of the vampire. So what I'll focus on for the first segment is basically like, how do you define a vampire? Like, what are they, and where have we seen them like develop over time in history? So. Let's define vampires. First off, um, I liked looking at the etymology of the word vampire because why the hell not? Mm-hmm. So the first appearance of the word vampire was um, in the Oxford Dictionary in 1734. So people had used it previously, but the dictionary hadn't like called it a word yet until 1734. So I feel like the dictionary is a good indicator of like when it started being like a legit thing. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but this spelling actually was vampire with a Y. And again, I realized now that I was typing it and saying it, I can't just say it was spelled differently. Like I have to tell people because oh, this yeah. is a podcast and right. you can't see what I'm writing. <laughs> so anyway, um, they'd already been discussed in different like German and French literature. And there had been a lot of like ideas of what vampires were, but they weren't necessarily called that. But actually, we see it again or even before 1734 in this time frame when Austria gains control of parts of Serbia. And these Austrian officials note like a local practice of exhuming bodies and killing vampires. So I don't know what the fuck they were doing there, but that's like another place where it was like in an official document. And pretty much every, like every religion, every culture and society that I looked at had the word vampire, but in like just a slightly different way. So in Macedonian, Bulgarian, Croatian, Czech, Polish, etc., all of the words for vampire was actually vampire so it's vampire without the e at the end or i think it's like vampire which is like a w instead of a v okay i think yeah that's that's how i sort of understood it so because i know a lot of like like german at least their w acts like a v right for us Mm -hmm. so that makes sense Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So something I thought that was cool, which doesn't say much about me or the fact that I'm about to share this, but <laughs> it's something I found <laughs> about the origin of the meanings of vampire or like vampire. So there's this Czech linguist who basically proposed that this sound of like the upir is actually translated to someone who thrusts slash bites. Okay. So they think that the vampire like core part of the word right. comes from this like basic linguistic background so i thought that was cool 
Yeah. So basically, no matter what I saw, the etymology of the word kind of always goes back to this like blood sucking creature. But there's actually a lot of key descriptors that repeatedly appear in folktales in describing vampires. And what's interesting is they're actually really different from how we would look at vampires today. So if you were to describe a vampire today, Sarah, like what like what would you use to describe it? I feel like it's tricky because I also just did research, but I feel like it's an undead being Mm -hmm. who drinks humans' blood. Yep. And then some of the common things, they have fangs, they can't be in the sunlight, don't like garlic Mm -hmm. or crosses, can't see their Mm -hmm. reflection are kind of like the main tropes Mm -hmm. I think of. Yeah. And I always think of too, like, they're like super skinny and like, like bone white and just like... Or always in a white other, dude. like, yes, yeah, absolutely. And there's always this sense of, like, at least in more modern stuff, and I know you'll probably talk about it too, but it's like they're beautiful and they're like really hard to look away from. Yeah, so it's like, they're like the ideas that or they, enchanting. Exactly. Yes, exactly. But that's actually way more modern. So in ancient cultures, the mythology of the vampire originates almost entirely from what we would describe as like 18th century Southeastern Europe when. There were all of these like verbal rituals of how people would participate in like post death experiences, Mm -hmm. like, and how that was documented. So, for the most part, like you said, vampires are the undead versions of evil beings. So, it's not necessarily just like a random person that was bit and then transformed into a vampire. Like, traditionally, vampires were the versions of like evil creatures, witches, and in a really dark and very effed up place they were victims of suicide which i thought was really interesting so like there's this sense of like i know in a lot of like and it's still probably the same with the catholic church because they are slowly progressing with certain things but um in a lot of those like religious doctrine taking your own life is considered to be like one of the gravest sins and therefore like punishes your soul completely so i think that's where that kind of comes from in saying that people could only become vampires if they were like really really bad in their life okay um but what's also interesting is that some cultures also believe that they were actually just spirits who are possessing a corpse so it's not actually like the person themselves is a vampire it's like the person is being possessed Mm -hmm. by a vampiric spirit basically yeah and so there's like points in history that these beliefs create this like huge panic that like there's mass hysteria and public executions of anyone that others believe to be vampires and there's actually a few folk tales where vampires were living creatures and were never dead but for the most part they seem to be like demon or demonic spirits who possessed the dead mm-hmm. and made them undead that makes sense with so, a couple of the things i have yeah yeah i think and too as i kind of go through my whole <laughs> so what to do if you see a vampire segment um <laughs> i think it makes a little bit more sense Good. too so in basically everything i read it's challenging to just make a single and conclusive explanation of folkloric vampires right. even though there's a lot of common elements but they're common to most european legends and actually as fucked up as Europeans are and like a lot of their lore looking at some of the creatures around the world was like oh my god this is even more horrific so I thought that was actually really cool it was like way more gruesome than I thought so European vampires have typically been reported as bloated in appearance and purplish or they have like a dark purpley blue tone to their skin Mm -hmm. and 
this feature has always been attributed to recent blood drinking. So if a corpse is appearing to be like this like bloated, nasty ruddiness, basically, right. you can assume that the corpse has just drank a bunch of blood. It's like when you say so. you have a food baby, but the food was blood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a blood baby. Perfect. <laughs> That's really, that's beautiful. I We probably should have done like a trigger content warning at oh, the start of this episode. Yeah, I thought about that. Um, <laughs> general blood warning. And then later, uh, very, gru- I'll do some specific warnings for my segment. Yeah. General yeah. blood and death I will, warning though. Yeah. I mean, hopefully at this point, if you're this far into the vampire episode, you're like, oh, we're going to talk about some blood. Right. <laughs> like, hopefully this is not a surprise. Right. Another indication a person was a vampire was blood was sometimes visible from the mouth and nose on a corpse. And this, like, was sort of an indication, again, that they had just feasted. And vampires were believed to show up as wearing the same, like, burial shroud um, that they had been buried in. And also, <laughs> this came up multiple times, but their left eye was open. So I don't. Okay. I did not I see that. Know. Yeah, no, I don't know why that matters, but in like like European like vampiric folklore, they were bloated and like purplish and also their left eye was open. So again, I don't know why that matters, but I thought it was such a weird little fact. Vampires were also characterized with having long hair and nails, um, having grown in death, but fangs actually were not ever a traditional feature. We obviously know of the fangs now, and you'll probably get into reasons why fangs become kind of part of the folklore, but traditionally they were never actually a part of like what vampires looked like. So at this point, I know everyone is probably sitting there in their cars or cleaning their house and they're like, how do you create a vampire? Because like it's 2020. So really what else is there to do now? Because we're well past the stages of baking and everyone's already seen Tiger King and puzzles (laughs) are done. So like what else could you do in 2020 while you're going to learn how to make a fucking vampire? So it seems like the most logical next step. So in some Chinese and Slavic folktales, which I thought was interesting because they seem to be like very different areas of the world but also like weirdly similar vampires were made when an animal such as a cat or a dog jumped over a corpse Hmm. so the corpse that they jumped over would become a vampire so you and i are in luck if we just drop dead today and our cats or dogs jumped over us we good we're going to be vampires. Okay. Can't wait. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, they also believed that bodies that had wounds that weren't treated with boiling water could also be at high risk for becoming a vampire. That so weren't my treated. Next question so was, if you had a wound, right. you didn't put boiling water on it. Right. Okay. Then you would die and become a vampire. Okay. So like my question literally was, how often did these things happen mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. which people had gaping wounds? <laughs> That all of a sudden, that had and also boiling water poured on them. And I'm not a doctor. I mean, by I any means, heat is a thing. Like if you're cauterizing it, heat, hot water and that's might what I sterilize thought. it. Right, but my immediate, of course, my dumbass was like, okay, so I'm like imagining a gaping side wound and then Mm -hmm. someone just takes like my mom's like (laughs) old pot of like boiling water for mac and cheese and just like pours it on that wound. Yeah. Like, how is that going to be helpful? But like, you know what? Again, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So in Russian folklore, vampires were believed to be witches um, who died and then came back. Or similarly, people who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church when they were alive. Okay. (laughs) That was like your punishment. Yes, exactly. And people wanted to find ways to like prevent family members from turning into a vampire after their death. So they started to create specific practices around that. So for example, it was common for corpses to be buried upside down, sometimes with a stake through the top of the coffin, which I'll explain in a second. People also put blades 
shades like sickles or scythes or is it scythe or skith Ooh, i don't know that's one of those there's i've only always, read the word yes there's always a moment when we're recording that i'm like why didn't i research the pronunciation beforehand <laughs> So basically, you would put like a sharp object near the burial site, and this would somehow prevent demons from entering the body, and it would basically appease the dead so they didn't want to come back to life and start like sucking people's blood. But to me, it feels like you're just arming it. So like if they do come back to life, they're like, oh, sweet, I have this sharp blade now. It's going to be easier to kill people. But, you know, I don't know. Um, In modern Greek folktales... You would place a wax cross and a small piece of pottery that was inscribed with the words, Jesus Christ conquers. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. I also think I'm thinking of Jesus Christ Superstar. That's fair. And like you just put like a CD recording of Jesus Christ Superstar in that and that might work instead. Yeah. Uh, And that would... That would be placed on corpses in their coffins to prevent a transformation happening in the first place. Of course. And there's just like a weird amount of ways to prevent corpses. But one of the craziest that I saw to prevent corpses from becoming vampires is by placing poppy seeds, sand, rice, or millet on the ground at the gravesite. Because if the person became an undead vampire, Mm -hmm. they would be inclined to stop and count every single seed, sand, grain of rice, or millet. So vampires are just like puppies they're like oh shiny yes so my immediate thought and i can't believe we're coming back to muppets once again but is this why the count is the count on sesame street i don't know. like it's not just count dracula right like what like there's this connection with vampires and numbers yeah and i was like oh my god i've figured it out everybody i'm a genius you are and (laughs) Basically, they're just trying to distract the Count from sucking every Muppet's blood. Huh. Yeah. my I heard everybody's mind explode in that single pause when you're like, oh my God, ew. If that doesn't work, you can always try severing the tendons at the knees of any person that you're afraid of becoming a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was okay. like really gruesome. And that would be a really interesting way to like start a funeral. Like, no, <laughs> we have to sever the tendons first. <laughs> Gather around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Casey, you may ask, how do we even know if somebody is a vampire? What if all of our attempts have been futile? Ooh. That's a great question, everyone. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> so that's basically what it's like to teach virtually and hybrid it's like you just ask a question to an empty like room and you just hope that somebody's gonna unmute themselves and just start talking Mm. it's brutal um so there's a very (laughs) there are a few traditional rituals that were used to basically determine if somebody had become a vampire even if you've laid out all the sand you have and you're like well that wasn't enough sand so this is my favorite one I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm excited. I started reading it and then I wanted to hear it from you instead. Okay. So step one, find a virgin boy. Okay. I'm sorry. So the kid from Hocus Pocus. Yep. Okay. Max. Okay. So find a virgin boy and put him on top of a virgin stallion. So it's got to be a virgin stallion. It has to be a virgin stallion. It has to be a virgin boy. I have a question. It has to be. Go. (laughs) If you're a stallion, does butt stuff count? I mean, (laughs) I would say yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That makes it easier. It's. That's what I mean. Like, remember, Sarah, we're trying, we're trying to like detect vampires here. So I need you to take this a little bit. I'm more sorry, that, that's true. My bad. <laughs> this is like not a fucking joke. 
Okay. <clears throat> Step two, walk said virgin stallion with said virgin boy into a graveyard. Okay. And when that horse balks back at a grave, you found your vampire. Okay. That's it. So it's like That's a vampire detector. Right. But be very careful because it's preferable to use a black stallion. But if you're in Albania, you really need to be using a white one. Mm, good to know. Okay. So just keep that in okay. mind. Everybody write writing, that down. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Good. Good. So <laughs> so holes that appeared in the earth over a grave were also taken as a sign of vampirism, which is, I don't know. I'd kind of shit my pants too if I saw holes yeah. appear over a grave. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't love that. I don't love that. So another way to determine if your deceased relative was now a member of the undead would be to look at the corpse after being dead for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Because what else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So you should dig up your dead relative and check to see how they decomposed. So typically, vampires would appear to be healthier, plump, and showing little to no signs of decomposition. Oh, yeah. I have a great story about this coming. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. In some instances, you may notice that the corpse is actually even more beautiful than they had been in life so in that that's case, something you to should know seek too. psychological help 1000 percent. also if you notice blood all over the mouths and faces of your dead relative that you have just unearthed that may also be another indication that they are a vampire now like maybe you're wondering if your community is being plagued by a vampire well some mm-hmm. signs historically would be the deaths of local sheep cows relatives or neighbors mm-hmm. yikes mm-hmm that's literally what I wrote. Yep. Because if a bunch of shit is dropping dead, get out. Just get out. So vampires were believed to supposedly engage in poltergeist-like activities, such as throwing rocks onto the roof of your house or moving around objects in your house. Okay. So I thought about, there's this like meme or something that goes around that's like, if you were a ghost, what mildly inconvenient... Or no, it's yeah. like, if you... Well, if you broke into a house, what mildly inconveniencing thing right. would you do to the person? <laughs> and that's what I thought of. Like, squirrels drop acorns all over my roof. Or is it a vampire? Yeah. We don't really know. There's um, no way to know. There's no way to know. <laughs> so you may also get this feeling that somebody is pressing on you in your sleep, which could also be an indication of a local vampire, which to uh, me, out of all of the things, uh, that's horrifying. That's an indication I of me moving. Every, every single part of that was too much yep, for me. Yep, I hate it. <laughs> so let's say that at this point, all of your preventative measures haven't worked and you've discovered that you do in fact have a vampire running around in your village. Now what? Like, how are you going to prevent this blood-sucking bastard from sucking your blood? So first off, step one. Okay. <laughs> we have a lot of steps in this episode. Okay. You want to <laughs> look for something called, oh God, oh God, another word that I was like, why didn't I research the way you say this? They're called apotropics. Or basically items that ward off apotropics. Is that it? I don't know. (laughs) Apotro. Oh, my God. Apotropics. That sounds better than my stupid fucking (laughs) pronunciation of that. It's one of the two. Yeah, it's one of them. Or it's neither. Yeah, we're not. (laughs) We're just totally trash. Um, so items that are able to basically ward off the undead. And you even mentioned this in your like earlier description of like a common vampire. So these are super common in folklore. Garlic is one of the most commonly known ways to ward off this evil. Mm-hmm. I could not tell you why. I, I literally was like, why garlic? I have a theory. Okay. Coming. Do you want to talk about it or do you want to get into it? Okay. Oh, right. No, I meant later. No. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to take a sip of my water. Wait, sorry. My bad. <laughs> No, it requires oh, it requires some setup. 
Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. So it was also believed that you could use branches of wild rose and hawthorn, which would harm vampires. And in Europe, you could even sprinkle mustard seeds on the roof of your house and that would keep them away. So like imagine just like seeing your neighbors like on their fucking roofs, like sprinkling. Can you imagine though, what if you were up there sprinkling mustard seeds when they were throwing rocks at the roof? That could be dangerous. Oh my God. That's really dangerous. Yeah. You gotta be careful. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. A lot of things with roofs, which is interesting. Um, other obvious ones would be anything religious because again vampires were believed to not necessarily be the undead but they were believed to be demons possessing the dead so anything religious rosaries holy water crucifixes and in a lot of european lore vampires couldn't walk on consecrated ground like on churches or temples and they couldn't cross running water so i never understood the whole running water thing Mm -mm. and i finally like did more research on it and i was like oh i get it so basically if you've ever wondered like why not running water so european folklore water is seen as being a barrier that prevents the crossing of unholy beings like vampires and this is because it's generally the strongest ward other than holy water because it's running and it's considered to be cleaner and less likely to harbor disease which was like kind of makes it holy and pure okay so vampires are the polar opposite of this they're like wretched and disease-ridden abominations of the world and like the purity of the water repels them so this was also believed to be true of witches in european mythology so like if you were a true witch which i think kind of makes sense with the whole drowning thing too you know how it's like if you drown you're innocent if you don't drown you're a witch yeah when they were trying to drown them that makes sense so i thought it made sense that like using the natural world and water like what water symbolizes in that yeah um mirrors were also said to be useful in warding off vampires whenever they are faced outwards on a door so you would have to put a mirror on the outside of your door and then the vampires would be warded off there really wasn't another explanation for the lack of reflection and actually some cultures don't even have that in fact some cultures believe that vampires have reflections and shadows and they look just like humans would and that's why they're so tricky okay but some traditions also hold true to the belief that vampires can't enter homes unless they've been invited by the owner of the home and in this instance i got a lot of like vampire diary vibes Mm -hmm. and like uh let me tell you something I would let Damien into my house 1,000%. I'd be like, you come the fuck in, buddy. Like, come on in. Ian Somerhalder? Yes. Okay. Yes. He is. uh, I've clearly not watched this show. He is so handsome. I just. uh, He's just this, like, devilishly dark, like, with these bright eyes. And he's like, oh, he's like badass. Anyway. Sorry, Eric. I know you're not listening, but. Casey goes off on 25-minute tangent (laughs) about Ian Somerhalt. It happens. (laughs) All right. So we're at the final stages because I'm sure you're now all wondering, okay, you've done everything you can, but now this motherfucking vampire needs to be destroyed. What does tradition say in order to destroy it? I'm ready. Staking is hands down the most common and most well-known pretty much throughout everything that I saw in my research, especially in Slavic culture and like looking at like Romania, Transylvania, like all the shit where like vampires are quote unquote like legitimate fears in European history, like staking was the best way to do it. So if you were in Russia and the Baltic states, ash wood was the preferred one to use when staking vampires. If you were in Serbia, it was Hawthorne, which I thought was consistent with warding them off. Yeah. And um, 
in Silesia, it was oak wood. And it was also believed that Jesus's cross was made from aspen wood. So that gained popularity and preferred steak wood. <laughs> LOL what is what I wrote. I because it's like, did the they idea sell that these? Oh, yeah. That's a fair question. Who was like, hey, we have steaks made of aspen wood, which is what Jesus's cross was made Someone out of. And it's was, like, I'm sure. That's true. Like, um... I'm I'm thinking of the wild and wacky inflatable arm filling tube man yes. like advertising yes. for like Black Friday steaks. sale. <laughs> yes. Get yours now. Like that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> um potential vampires were also most often staked through the heart, but in northern Germany and Russia it was actually through the mouth, oh. which was fucking nasty and brutal. And in northeast Serbia it was in the stomach. So this basically came from the idea that piercing the skin in the chest would deflate the bloated vampire which had that similar roots to the whole like bury them with a sickle thing okay. that I mentioned earlier. So you would bury a relative that you were worried about being a vampire. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how common that was, but, and you would put a stake through the coffin, but not through the body because if they inflated basically and became like a bloated vampire, they would automatically be pierced by the stake. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So if like the body became big enough, it would right. be pierced and destroyed immediately. Okay. Like popping a balloon, a I, vampire balloon. I see the logic. <laughs> yeah. Um. So in Germanic and Slavic areas, decapitating vampires was the more preferred method of destruction. And then what you do is you would bury the head between the feet or far away from the body or weirdly enough behind the buttocks mm. so this is where you can insert your own head up your ass joke it's also where and you can insert your own head up your ass <laughs> <laughs> that's just where i thought that sentence was going no it, it like it basically did <laughs> and like i had to read that sentence three times when i was researching i was like i'm sorry does it say Put your head near your ass. Like, is that what that means? Um, so why? Good question. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. So this would basically hasten the soul leaving the body. So you would find ways to like pin down the head, the body, the clothing. And the further away you could get the head from the body, the better off it was because then your soul would leave faster and then it couldn't be possessed is kind of what I got. Okay. You can actually find graves of people buried like this. And that's actually where you get some like modern day vampire hunters who basically track these graves down. There's believed to be numerous cases of that. One of the oldest that has been uncovered was an 800 year old skeleton that was stabbed through the chest with an iron rod. Oh. So interestingly enough, the Romani people drove steel and iron into a corpse's heart, not wood. And they would put pieces of steel in the ears, in the mouth, between the fingers, and over the eyes of deceased family members um, in order to prevent anything evil from entering the body. So basically covering all orifices, mm -hmm. uh, most orifices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, <laughs> they also placed hawthorn branches in the socks of corpses, which is very specific but yep that sure um, is in one case yeah there was this um one case in venice where a woman was found with a mouthful of bricks um wait, wait, which wait. is really fucked up how many bricks could you fit in a mouth i don't know i don't know i couldn't figure out if it was one brick or more than one brick i'm gonna say it was either one really big brick or a couple small little ones. mini bricks like lego bricks mini bricks like legos okay <laughs> 
the 1500s, a woman in Venice was buried with a mouthful of Legos. And that is another way to prevent vampires from taking over the souls of your loved ones. Because when they come in your um, house to, to eat you, they step on them. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Or they count them. It's one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Everything ties back. This is true comedy, folks. Oh, this is what you do. You pull it in. That was a great in. setup. Yeah, yeah, that was good. I didn't even, I didn't even write that joke no, in. No, none of it was planned. I'm a goddamn professional. <laughs> um, and then we have things like pouring boiling water over the grave, burning a body to ashes, shooting, drowning, placing garlic in the mouth of, dismembering, and in the Saxon regions of Germany, people who were suspected of being a vampire got a lemon placed in their mouth, okay. which I think is much nicer than a brick it is and that, that's definitely uh where i'm gonna hand it over to you to tell me why the fuck people thought these things were real okay well one theory is that they are real and people saw them of course yes. um my theory but basically i'm gonna get gross and talk about stuff people probably saw and didn't understand that led to common beliefs about vampires so one of the main ones is decomposition a lot of the things that we describe as characteristics of vampires are characteristics of a decomposing body. They tend to bloat. Yeah. They can darken in color, um, different things like that. But in pre-industrial societies, you would often see these bodies begin to decompose because you weren't embalming them the same way and all that. But it wasn't explainable to them at the time. They didn't understand why that happened to a body. And historically, when we don't understand something, we make up reasons for it. That is what it's called religion. I was gonna say that is what religion is. <laughs> yep. um, but in addition to that, like not every body decomposes the exact same way. So things like the temperature and the type of soil and things having to do with the person's life can affect it. So mm -hmm. you might have seen a couple of dead bodies over your life that looked one way, and then all of a sudden you saw one that looked different and it looked like quote unquote mm. not dead to them, or it had these different okay. elements. And they mm. could call that a vampire because it was something different about the dead body, right? So, could, do you think age could be a factor too? Like corpses of like young, yeah, people? definitely. Though they were more used to seeing that at the time, right? right? It wasn't quite as stark, but but I feel like old people already look like corpses. Oh, for sure, for <laughs> I'm so sorry. sure. I'm so sorry for laughing at that. I'm not. That's like kind of true, right? I mean, it's like yeah, they're. Pre-corpses. Pre-corpses. Aren't we all just pre-corpses? True. <laughs> true. Um, Everything is dust. Life is futile. It's fine. In addition to the swelling that happens, the, the increased pressure can often cause blood to ooze from the nose and the mouth. Ugh. So mm -hmm. that would kind of go hand in hand. So probably the like most common one is people saw decomposing bodies that didn't look like they knew or expected. Right. And that led to these kind of myths about what was happening to the bodies, that they were alive or something was wrong. Another okay. one was the idea of contagion. And the idea here was that people thought vampires in some way caused things like plagues or mysterious death. So again, they didn't mm -hmm. know how to explain the bubonic plague, right? And, or tuberculosis. Right, right. And so they were like, well, probably these vampires are causing it. And this was a little more in line with what you were talking about when vampires were seen as sort of a demonic possession. The idea okay. would be there's like this vampire in your family or in your community that was causing this right. disease to spread. And so this okay. is where we're going to tell a story of a girl named Mercy Brown. Yes. I'm so stoked you're telling her story. Yes. I've like briefly mentioned her and I was like, I'm not even going to talk about her if Sarah talks yeah, about her. I so, have all, I, mean, I have all Mercy Brown, which I also, my moment, I was like, that sounds like Murphy Brown. Did they know that? 
when they made Murphy Brown? And then I don't know. <laughs> do ever do people really do everyday people know about oh, Mercy Brown? Not like at all. probably not. I was Only a bunch of fucking it. weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> so Rhode Island, 1892. Tuberculosis is rampant. Um, but at the time it was called consumption because of gross stuff. Um, have you ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I haven't. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry. I've got homework for you. Okay. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. There's this whole joke about like having a touch of the consumption and one of the characters <laughs> accidentally eats blood pills oh, good. instead of like the fake ones. And it's it's so horrifying. Oh, no. Okay. I'm sorry. I digress. Okay. I'm like, la- I don't know why I wrote this this way, but what I wrote was tuberculosis or consumption was popular at the time. It was... <laughs> I don't, it's what was in. It was. I don't know why I wrote popular. It, <laughs> my mom has this thing where she always says to me and my sisters, like, it's what they're showing. It's what and the, like yeah, ter- about like fashion and shit. And yes. so like my automatic thought it's right what now they're is showing. like, it's what they're showing. Yeah. yeah. Tuberculosis, mm-hmm. all the rage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what they're showing. <laughs> it was a large problem at the time in New England. And it began to ravage the family of George and Mary Brown. So first, Mary Brown, the mother, died, uh, pretty closely followed by their eldest daughter, Mary Olive, in 1886. Mary Olive. Yeah. That's a name. I like like the name Olive. Olive is, like, very popular now, but I was surprised to see it then. Yeah. 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 It seems like a hipster, like, kind of name. Yeah. But, so she died in 1886, and then in 1891, um, the remaining two siblings, Edwin and Mercy, also contracted the disease and died from it. So at this point, George Brown has lost his wife and the three children. Oh, that's devastating. And the neighbors were like, obviously a vampire caused this because it all happened in the same family. It's not because tuberculosis mm-hmm. is highly contagious and they all live together. It's a- Is it highly contagious? I think so. That's what a plague is. That's what I thought, too. But then I think of, oh, my God, I fucking hate myself. I think of Moulin Rouge. You know how, um, have you seen that movie? Yeah. You know how Satine has it? Yeah. And then, like, she doesn't give it to you and McGregor, though. Uh, I just Googled real quick. It's caused by bacteria that spreads from person to person through droplets. Huh. That's familiar. Cough, oh, my God. Beak, so you and McGregor spits. should have had it. I mean, he could have. So they wouldn't. Horrible. They probably didn't know how it was transferred then. So they wouldn't have acted like it was contagious. And then maybe they could get it later. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Or it, it like, just sits there and, like, waits. Right. Oh, that's fucking gross. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, they were all like, this was a vampire possessing someone in your family and, like, cursing it, basically. And it was in, in accordance with, like, contemporary myths, basically, that said multiple deaths in a family were often linked to undead activity so this was kind of a common belief at the time so it made more sense for them consumption tuberculosis was not understood they didn't understand that it was contagious like i just said and so there's all this superstition around it and that was a big one and so they convinced george brown to exhume the family members and he is like no one's a vampire this is stupid but like do it and shut up or whatever and so they exhume the bodies of all the family members and You know, the villagers are there, the doctors there, reporters are there. It's like a really big deal. And so they take out Mary and Mary Olive, who had died seven years previously. And they're at like oh, God. the expected level of decomposition, it says, right? So they look like you would expect a seven-year-old body to look. They're not plump. There's no blood. They're not pretty. 
Nothing like that. So wait, this is seven. I, I feel like I'm missing a timeline because I. So I, Mary and Mary Olive died about five years before Mercy and Edwin died. Okay. So there's like a chunk okay. of time in there. And okay. so, but once it's. And then it like hit them again. Exactly. They had like two waves okay. of it in this family. Got it. Okay, but then I could see why you would think that your family is, like, cursed. Yeah. Because, like, if it happened once and then it disappeared for seven years and then it came True. back, like, I could see why people would be like, oh, shit, it's us. Yeah. True. And not the poor hygiene and healthcare that we have in the 1890s. <laughs> yeah, right. Couldn't be that. But so they look like you would think, but they dig up Mercy and she has basically not decomposed at all. So there's, like, still blood in her heart. She still looks alive and, like, she's 19, so she still looks like a pretty 19-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Nothing, like, weird. There's some rumors that say she was upside down in her grave, but I've seen both ways on that. Yeah, I've also heard that yeah. she was, like, even more beautiful than she had been exactly. when she was alive. But yeah. the logical answer here is she died in the... um. She died in the winter, I believe, and they couldn't bury her, right? You can't dig into the ground when it's ice. And right. so she had been stored in a freezer in an above-ground crypt for two months. Oh. And then placed Jeez. into- oh, well, it's Rhode Island, too. Right. So, yeah, it's fucking and cold. And then this is March, so it's still chilly out. So the reason her oh, body yeah. had not really fully decomposed at all was that she was being frozen, which okay. maintains a body to some extent. But right. they, of course, didn't know that at the time. So they just see, well, Mercy looks like she's alive in some way, right? She's kind of plump. She's not decomposed, all of that. So they're like, she was the vampire. She's why little baby Edwin died. Like, mm-hmm. it was her. Okay. And again, George Brown is like, no, really, there's no vampire. And they're like, nope, Mercy was a vampire. That's all. Also, I realized I said something wrong earlier. Edwin is not dead yet. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Yeah, Edwin is Edwin's not dead right now. Mercy's dead. But so what they do But Edwin will be dying soon. We'll get there. Um okay. as superstition <laughs> dictated to them, um, they took out Mercy's heart and liver and burned them. And then of course. mixed the ashes with water to create a tonic that they gave to Edwin. And that was supposed to stop the influence of the vampire on him. It was like an antidote, right? She was the vampire. Oh, so if you God. drink this vampire lung ash, whatever, he did vampire die. Cocktail. Then he died two months later and was buried with her. Uh, uh, so he, did this kid know what he was drinking? I gonna say no just for my own this is like and i don't care how judgy i sound this is like people who like eat their placentas <laughs> like i cannot fathom it like my body I'm totally just, like, getting men made into pills but <laughs> maybe pills fine but people are like nope i cooked mine yeah like, i'm not gonna cook it but i would get it encapsulated <laughs> Like, oh, we're serving placenta today. Yeah, not, like, I don't want, like, a smoothie or whatever people do. Right, that's what I mean. This kid had, like, an yeah. ash smoothie of his sister's right. organs. Like, oh, my God. Oh, ew. No. no. And then he still died. It didn't even work. Right. That's the worst part of it. It's not even like it was like, wow, it really worked. Like, it literally, not only did you consume parts of your dead sister's body, you, you still, still died. died. That might be why you died. That doesn't sound sanitary. Actually, that's a good point, too. Oh, the 1890s were a real trip. Yeah, real wild time. So that was just a fun story on the contagion theory and that it was somehow spread amongst families and communities and the uh, price Mercy Brown's little body paid for it. Yeah. Um, Another theory is the idea of premature burial. And so the idea here is that it used to be kind of common or more common for someone to be buried alive. 
And that when that would happen, you would hear noises coming from the grave, right? Or you would open oh the grave God. later and you would see fingernail marks on the coffin or people oh. like banging, people would try and bang against the coffin and it would cause blood on their face that made it look like they had fed or whatever. Yeah. Um. So this could be- That is like an irrational fear that I have of being buried That's alive. That's common, I feel like. Yeah. Like I can't imagine waking up and you're like, oh my God, uh, everyone thought I was dead. Like that has to be- the worst feeling yeah no no that's why they have like uh what's that graveyard shift right? yeah yeah like you'd ring the bell could yes. you fucking imagine yeah, working in a graveyard and you'd hear bells yes. yeah that's terrifying yes and so yeah. the idea here is that like those seeing those things when people didn't understand oh they were buried alive led them to create like well they're rising up from the grave and they have blood on their face because they fed or whatever. They are the undead because they right. weren't fucking dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> In theory, that's cool. But the thing is that people don't live very long if they're buried alive, right? They're not like actually right. underground for days and days. <laughs> right. Um, it's like hours. Yeah. Yeah. And so some people say, you know, it was probably natural gas sounds from decomposition that you're hearing. And, like, grave okay. robbery causing the scratches and movements and things like that. Yeah. Like um, twitching, right? Like exactly. your body twitches. Yeah. Exactly. So that's probably what actually happened. But at the time, people were still trying to explain it away this like that. Um, one more medical type one is rabies. And so what I learned is that there's a couple symptoms of rabies that map really perfectly to vampire lore. Right. So one of the symptoms of rabies is hypersensitivity to light. Right. So sunlight as well as taste and smell. And garlic has a really strong taste and smell. And so that's the theory on garlic. Right. That you're averse to it because if can you imagine if you had like super smelling garlic would probably make you not happy. Oh my god, it would like kill you. Exactly. It already smells pungent in like a normal exactly. like, smelling. And so hypersensitivity yeah. is one thing. Um yeah. it can also cause odd sleeping patterns. So it can like mess your circadian rhythms up so you're asleep during the day and awake at night. Wait, rabies or garlic? Rabies. Okay. <laughs> or garlic. Or garlic, have... yes. Um with that thing that I have now that I'm old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um Yep. Do you know what I'm talking about? Heartburn? Yes, heartburn. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yes, the thing where it hurts when I eat pasta. Yeah, yes, that one. But so those are both rabies symptoms and like vampire traits. Um, okay, it can also lead to frothing at the mouth and biting. Right, if you think of like a rabid dog, that's what you picture. Yes, um, mm-hmm. and that that biting transfers the disease in some way. Oh, yeah, so that. Um, there's the idea that bats are one of the species that carry rabies and bats have been really highly tied to vampires. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. Which is weird because they actually traditionally never were. That's right. more of like an 1800s, 1900s. Yeah. Thing. And then the last thing That's is interesting. That there used to be like legend, superstition, whatever, used to say that you weren't rabid if you could see your reflection was like a saying, Ooh. right? Like, oh, well, you're not really rabid if you can see your own reflection. I don't know why, but again... That's like a good bumper sticker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again... Can you see a reflection? Then you don't have rabies. <laughs> Apparently. But if a vampire can't see the reflection, then they'd be rabid. Yeah. Then you have rabies. Yep. So that could be one thing they were trying to explain. Weird. I like that, though. I like that there is this... Because think about it. Death has literally been around, obviously, for thousands of years. So, like... That would make sense as to why there are so many common yeah. attributes of vampires throughout 
pretty much the world. Yes. That's cool. Um, so I also have, there's some, like, psychological guesses as to why people believe in vampires or, you know, are willing to create this big cultural phenomenon out of it. Um, okay. So there's, like, a Welsh psychoanalyst named Ernest Jones who basically talks a lot about them being, um, like, a symbol of unconscious fears and defense mechanisms. So the idea that we might feel guilty or hate someone or have something, like, unfinished. Mm-hmm. brings up the idea of like returning from the grave okay um and one thing he says is like that you desire a reunion with your loved one and you could do that to the point where you project the idea that they return oh right wow um and i guess i imagine too like i mean people died really frequently yeah. and commonly and at young ages so i could see why at the same time you get used to it there's also this sense of like yeah, they're Never trying to come feeling... back. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think all that really comes down to, like, psychologically, it's probably a way to overcome a fear of dying. Right? The idea that right. if you yeah. die, you're not really dead. There's this way it goes on in some sense. And, like, a fear tactic, too. Yeah, definitely. And a fear of dead people as a projection of a fear of dying. Yeah. Um, Which I thought was interesting. Which is a very European thing, too. Like, yes. A lot of other cultures have a totally different view on death yeah. and, like, how it's dealt with and how it's handled. And, like, you have, like, families that, like, prepare bodies and stuff. And that's, like, mm-hmm. a, a place of honor. Whereas, like, here it's, like, you ship them off to a funeral home and you don't even want to look at them when they're in their casket kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, the other psychological thing I read a little bit about was the, quote, innate sexuality of blood sucking, um, which is... <laughs> just the idea that it's some sort of not like sexual fantasy but kind of a freudian underlying sexual thing um yeah and that basically there's you're sucking yeah and i mean it so. basically is saying i'll read the quote where is it many legends report various beings draining other fluids from victims and unconscious association with semen being obvious now that was not obvious to me until i read that sentence <laughs> maybe it wasn't obvious yeah, to me either until you said that me, sentence. but <laughs> sucking blood sucking some sort of like sexual but, undertone is the theory there but there's a lot of sexual undertones in today's vampires yes and hypersexuality is listed sometimes as like a trait of vampires so that could right. be like, a thing for example ian summerholder i don't want to keep bringing him up but like but come you, on but now, you know keep what i bringing him up <laughs> But I'm going to keep bringing him up. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like a psychologist perspective. Um, And then the last one is kind of the political idea of like why it's something that could be has been perpetuated over time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so part of it, and I know you'll talk about Bram Stoker and Dracula later, um, but there's some political overtones there. Basically, right. The vampire is powerful. He's sitting up in a tower. He's feeding on the peasants at night. Just kind of this image, right? Marx, at some point in his writings, literally uses the word vampires to describe bosses, basically. Right? Sucking oh, okay. sucking from other people. So there's this kind of <laughs> yeah. like political idea that they act as a stand-in for someone unfairly taking things. Okay. Um, And there's like a Voltaire, who's a writer, noted that the decline of vampires kind of came about 
at his time, what he saw as the like decline of vampires in writing came about when yeah. there became more stock jobs. So like stockbrokers, businessmen who sucked the blood of people in broad daylight, but they were not dead, though corrupted. And so it was like yeah. the idea of like, oh, capitalism. Yeah. Like, oh, the <laughs> shitty people are alive, not dead. And it led to kind of a dip in vampire stuff because you didn't need the metaphor. There was just like people there. Right. Um. So that's kind of a political why it might be something we've bought into and like perpetuated over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some different theories as to why vampires are something people actually believed in or how they were in some way real at some time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that makes sense. And yeah. again, it's like, you know, when you look at like history, you see a lot of like, I mean, there's so many cases of like really brutal people. I know like you've got uh what's her face. Do you know what? It's mostly men though. Which I thought was interesting. I've got men and women. Don't you worry. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, Okay, so I figured it's good to kind of look at some, like, vampires through history. So I don't want to try... I don't want to, like, repeat myself because there's literally so much stuff. But basically, these stories have been around for centuries. And so... Um, even though the word vampire didn't exist in ancient times, there basically were just demons or ghosts that would consume flesh and drink blood. And they were related somehow to like blood drinking activities, you know, like that was like their MO. Um, and pretty much every global nation has connected some kind of what they call revenants. So revenants are like the members of the undead, um, different than zombies. I think, I think, Zombies maybe are like examples of revenants, but that word kept coming up a lot. I think it's like an undead spirit as opposed to just like an undead corpse. So in India or in ancient India, there are tales of something called Vitalas or ghouls and they inhabit corpses. But the Persians are actually one of the first to say that these were demons that drank blood and they were actually alive. They weren't just like undead. So or they weren't like dead demons, um, which I think is kind of similar to what we have in today's vampires where like they're not always really fully dead. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then in ancient Babylonia and Assyria, there were tales of a mythical figure called Lilithu. And she was considered to be a demon who was often depicted as subsisting on the blood of babies, which is... okay. That's fine. Dark AF. Uh-huh. Um, and I got some crazy Lilith vibes from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is like hands down one of the best things that's happened to me during quarantine, which is just watching that series. It's so good. Fair. Also, I just got um, sad because I love the name Lilith, like for a human child. And it's got all yeah. these weird like biblical and these dark stories, but I could never use it because Lilith Zoloth is like unacceptable <laughs> too many th- 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 is that what it is Zoloth. like it doesn't work but i just i always get sad when i say the name lilith because i love it so much yeah well what about like lily no it doesn't have the same scary viable monster it's vibes not the same yeah that's true <laughs> i want to name my daughter something like old school but badass like hester yeah <laughs> Like Hester Prynne. I love it. That's what I want. Or Olive, because I do Olive. like the name Olive. Yes, Mercy. I don't think Eric can, uh, I don't think Eric's going to go for that. You could name her I'll Mercy like, what Brown. If we do Mercy Brown, Olive, Werner. Perfect. <laughs> um, there were also these ancient things called estries, and they were female shapeshifters that roamed populations at night and looked for victims. That's, so that's feminism, this is really baby. The, I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> boom, feminism. <laughs> um, this was actually the only place I saw women though which i thought was weird like there was only a lot of like ancient interpretations of these creatures being women um yeah although actually when i get into asian um vampires there's actually a lot more like women demonic creatures that are vampiric in nature um so of course we have the middle ages when everything was shit um and so (laughs) a lot of the theories that surround the vampires that we kind of know today arose in the middle um ages or the medieval era era so there are different accounts (laughs) error it is a very very big error Mm -hmm. it was just like a whole bunch of centuries that we could just kind of skip over um so there were accounts of revenants um documented by the 12th century british historians and chroniclers named walter Mapp and william of newburgh um and another medieval example of an undead creature with similarities to vampires is the old norse creature called the dragger or draug draug probably um which literally translates to again walker (laughs) which I'm to the point. You know, going to put out a petition to just call people again walkers. Yeah, that's, like, I, mean, I think that sounds cool. It's right to the point. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's mostly uh, like accounts of vampires in Christian literature, and there actually isn't so much in Jewish writings during the Middle Ages. And I wonder if that's because there was, and uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not really any focus on like heaven or hell. That's what I was going to say is that like, there's no real Jewish conception of the afterlife. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what way, I kind so, of thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then in 1597, which is just a little bit past the middle ages, um, we're getting into like what technically would be considered modern history, which I still don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got good old King James and he writes a dissertation on witchcraft titled Daemonology, which is like one of the most popular and well-known um, like original books about like witchcraft and the supernatural. And he writes about this belief that demons could possess both the living and the dead. And within his classification of demons, he basically explains this concept through the notion that incubi and succubi could possess a corpse of a deceased person and then walk the earth. Okay. And basically, like, the devil borrows a dead body. And, like, any person who were to converse with these creatures would then basically run the risk of, like, becoming one themselves, essentially. That's kind of, like, the vibe that I got. Yeah. Um, So then in the late 17th and 18th centuries, the vampires that were rooted in folklore were mostly recorded from Eastern European standpoints. So these stories form the basis of the legend of vampires that eventually reach Germany and England. This is where you have like Vlad the Impaler and there's a lot more like even though he existed before that, there are stories that are getting kind of passed down from that time frame. Right. So that kind of embellishes and popularizes this idea of like vampires in their like activity. So then in the 18th century, so again, this is like 1700s, there's this frenzy of vampire sightings in Eastern Europe Ooh. with like regular stakings and grave diggings to find and eliminate future vampires. And basically the government officials would even carry out these killings and stakings like it wasn't just a bunch of like angry you know village people okay <laughs> not the village people not, but right. village not people the village people um, <laughs> or maybe the village people we don't really know what else they did that's true i don't know um, their lives 
they they weren't just singing YMCA. They were killing vampires. Um, so <laughs> that makes me think of that like book or movie, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh yeah, <laughs> like people are secretly vampire yes, hunters. I love that. <laughs> um, so the belief in vampires, weirdly enough grows significantly in the 18th century which i say is weird because um and you actually mentioned voltaire and i'm glad you did because this is during what's called the age of enlightenment yeah <coughs> oh sorry so a lot of folkloric legends were actually being like quelled like people were like no dude like that's not real like that's stupid right like oh it's just decomposing calm down correct yeah like you have the scientific revolution you've got vesalius with like understanding bodies and how they work and you have these enlightenment thinkers who are starting to use reason and logic as opposed to just like, you know, uh, like kind of like basic blatant interpretation of things they don't understand. Yeah. But there was this like craze called the 18th century vampire controversy. Good. Which raged for like a generation. And people had this like mass hysterical response throughout a lot of Europe. And so... The panic starts with, like, an outbreak of alleged vampire attacks in East Prussia in 1721, and there's actually, like, concerns for the Habsburg monarchy from 1725 to 1734, which then spread to, like, smaller localities throughout East Prussia and um, Austria. And so the incidents that happened were really well documented, so much so that government officials examined bodies, wrote case reports, and published books throughout Europe. And the problem was exacerbated by like rural epidemics of vampire attacks so it wasn't just like crazy people in the city it was also like you know people in the villages were also supposedly experiencing the same thing so there was this one theologian and scholar named dom augustine calme so he was french that's why i'm calling him calme i think that's his name so he publishes a treatise in 1751 that's called treatise on the apparitions of spirits and on vampires or revenants and he basically investigates the existence of vampires and demons and specters and he conducts what they called extensive research which like (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it was extensive, but like, you know, what are we researching? Um, And he basically (laughs) he gathered like a bunch of judicial reports of like vampiric incidents and sightings. And he looked at the theological and mythological accounts. So he's kind of like what we're doing right now, but like a little bit more like white dude, European French man in 1750s. And in his treatise, he basically states, quote, they see, it is said, men who have been dead for several months come back to earth, talk, walk, infest villages, ill use both men and beasts, suck the blood of their near relations, make them ill, and finally cause their death, so that people can only save themselves from their dangerous visits and their hauntings by exhuming them, impaling them, cutting off their heads, tearing out the heart, or burning them. These revenants are called by the name of upiers or vampires, that is to say, leeches. Okay. So he kind of got some criticism from some other thinkers who were like, so basically you're saying vampires are real. And he's like, yes. Yep. Um, fight me. But there were just as. Right. <laughs> Did you say bite me I or said, fight me? Fight me, but yours was better. <laughs> bite me. Let's pretend I said bite me. <laughs> no, no, no. Please don't bite me. Please don't bite me. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of it for Europe for a while. Cause like, I didn't want to focus. I mean, I did focus a lot on Europe, but 
there are accounts of vampires throughout the world. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to look a little bit more into to see like what other places believed in. Yeah. So I'll kind of go continent by continent. So um, in Africa, various regions of Africa have different folktales that involve vampire-like creatures. So in West Africa, the Ashanti people speak of the iron tooth and tree tree dwelling Asan Bosam, which is like basically the equivalent of like it like eats human flesh. Okay. Um, there's the Iwi people who talk about the Adzi. Um, and the Adzi can take the form of fireflies and hunt children, which is oh, horrifying. Um, <laughs> the Eastern Cape region has what's called the Impandulus, which can take the form of a huge bird with these enormous talons and it can call for thunder and lightning. And then it actually like has the ability to do so and like summon it. That sounds cool. Um, I think so too, which I think about like how many times you see those like old black and white films of like vampires that like summon thunder and lightning in their like yeah. mysterious castle so i thought that was cool um there's something called the ramanga that's believed to exist in um like madagascar and the ramanga is believed to be an outlaw or a living vampire who drinks the blood and eats the nail clippings of nobles no which is i'm done so gross i was fine with drinking um, the blood but they really lost me at the nail clippings. yeah Dude, I actually totally agree with you. I I was like, oh, that's gross. And then I was like, that's disgusting. Like, um, (laughs) so in the Americas, we have something that was called the Lugaru, which is an example of kind of like how you can combine two different beliefs and in like um into like one creature. So the Lugaru is supposedly a combination of traditional African voodoo and like French belief. And the word actually means like werewolf, but it's actually more similar to a vampire. Okay. Um, and the stories are popular in the Caribbean islands and in Louisiana. And actually it's basically like a folklore character who appears as a reclusive old woman, in the daytime and at night she strips off (laughs) yes it's sarah um sarah is a luguru Mm -hmm. um so by night (laughs) by night she strips off her wrinkled skin and puts it into a mortar and then in her true form which is a fireball which is so cool Mm -hmm. um she flies across the dark sky in search of a victim and these can also be called the suku the sukuyan and they can enter the home of her victim through any size hole, like cracks, crevices, keyholes. And they suck people's blood from their arms, leg, legs, and, quote, soft parts, which is horrifying, oh. um, while people sleep. So what I thought was interesting is this doesn't feed to kill. It just feeds. Right. So the traditional belief here with the Luguru is that if you drink too much of your victim's blood, you actually can kill them or you like caused them to become a sukuyan. Right, right, right. Which I thought was like pretty cool. Yeah. They also can be known to trade their victims blood for evil powers, mm. uh, which is cool. In Aztec mythology, there were tales of the Siwi Teteo, which I had to Google and then phonetically write out. Mm-hmm. So it's si- Siwa Teteo. Yeah. And this was a skull faced spirit of people who died in childbirth. And then they would steal children and then they would also enter into sexual liaisons with like living people, okay. which would drive them crazy. Um, and then in North America, you covered Mercy Brown. There's widespread tales of more like European centered 
um, vampires. Mm -hmm. So that's like more traditionally like what people in France and England and Germany kind of believed and brought over to the colonies. Thanks. Yeah. Um, So the last place I'll cover is Asia because theirs is like, it's intense. (laughs) So Asia basically has different versions of vampire or vampiric creatures. So vampires started to appear in Japanese film in the late 1950s, but the folklore is actually more Western in origin, which I thought was interesting. So there's something in Japan that's called the Nekakubi, and it's basically a being whose head and neck detach from its body and fly around, and they look for, like, human prey at night, which I kind of had, like, horrible, like, like, day nightmares Uh (laughs) while I was reading that. Um, in the Philippines, there are two main vampiric creatures, which is called the Mandarugo, which is also called the Bloodsucker, and the, oh, God, Mananangal, which is self-segmenter, oh. which is like, ugh. so the Mandarugo, uh, sorry, Mandarugo takes the form of an attractive girl by day and develops wings and a long, hollow, thread-like tongue at night. The tongue is then used to suck up blood from a sleeping victim. So again, it's not to kill them. It's just right. to like suck their blood while they're asleep. This is a really, this one's really effed up, guys. I'm going to be honest. So trigger warning for this. The Mananagal is described as being an older, beautiful woman that's capable of severing its upper torso in order to fly into the night. It has huge bat-like wings and it preys on unsuspecting, sleeping, pregnant women. Oh. They basically eat the fetuses from pregnant women okay yeah That's fine. um so i thought this was really interesting because eric and i a couple of weeks ago we watched the movie Gr- or the movie the show grim mm-hmm. and there was this episode that literally described exactly what i just said oh. and the it was like a a creature that was called i think it was called the tick tick and it was like a the, Filipino the TikTok. No, <laughs> the TikTok. Yes, the app. Actually, everyone's <laughs> using it now. Uh, <laughs> it's what's showing. The app is that's what's showing. <laughs> um, so it's creepy because it makes this like clicking sound. Yeah, I don't like it. And like, you know, it was awful. I like literally went to bed that night and I was like, that was terrifying. Normally, I'm like cool with stuff, but that was like too much for me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cases of women in Asian culture, which I think is interesting because there's not a lot of like male vampiric creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something called the Jiangxi in Chinese culture, which is also called the Chinese vampires by Westerners, which Clever. I kind of hate. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so these are reanimated corpses that hop around and kill living creatures to absorb their life essence, which is called the Qi from their victims mm-hmm. um so they're said to be created when a person's soul fails to leave the deceased person's body and they're usually represented as mindless creatures with no independent thought they're basically like these greenish furry white like skinned things that basically probably derive from like the fungus on corpses but mostly it's just like this horrific being that is probably closer to a zombie than a vampire yeah um and then honestly you have like the history of like you know the vlad dracula you have vlad the impaler which is basically the same thing but for the most part the only time that we start to see this like increase of like obsession with vampires is bram stoker's creation of count dracula so basically his characteristics his powers his abilities 
all of his weaknesses are basically similar, but also a combination of all of the other historical and folkloric traditions. Um, but he's actually like a nobleman. And so his whole thing is that he is extremely handsome and charismatic. He's aristocratic and like he basically is like he's like the beginning of the like overtly sexual understanding of like what a vampire is. Yeah. And basically it just follows like the story follows like an English traveler who is like in Transylvania. Um, and actually I had <laughs> I when I was researching this, I remembered when I was in my AP lit class in senior year, I actually wrote a paper about how Bram Stoker's Dracula was so important in its time frame because it was basically like the sexual undertones of the really, really like prudish Victorian era. Mm -hmm. And that's like what the novel was actually talking about. And it wasn't necessarily about like, it was kind of just using Dracula and the story of like, yeah, kind of like Vlad Dracula as like a, a place to like talk about it but it was really supposed to be like an over like view of how overtly sexual women and men could be but how like restrictive it actually was for them yeah that makes sense yeah i read a thing on the internet recently about dracula this was just random but it was talking about the timing and it was like technically the characters in dracula would have very much been alive for the great Gatsby. Oh my god. Timing wise, like I didn't realize how close together those were. Yeah. Like Dracula's eighteen ninety seven in the eighteen nineties. Yes. And then Great Gatsby's I in the didn't 20s. realize that either. So there was this whole like Twitter thread about Dracula at Gatsby's parties and it was fun. Yes. Yeah. And then you also have like characters too who like you've got Van Helsing, you've got Lucy, you've got like honestly, I, I really I am literally looking at my bookshelf right now and I forgot that I have Dracula and I loved that book. I never um, read it. Probably because I was like a weird, like eighteen year old horny teenager, you know what I mean? Where it was like I understand what it's like to be sexually repressed, but like I don't fucking know what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm an eighteen year old person. <laughs> yeah. But I think I would really enjoy rereading it now, like kind of understanding more about society and how it does continue to like suppress women yeah um and then you have like the women victims you have like women who are like enchanted by wealth and good looks and you know they don't realize the monster that they're dealing with until it's too late so it is very i mean i I wouldn't say it's problematic i would say it's very reflective of that time frame makes sense it's like right before women become a little bit more empowered with stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah. Okay. So that's my history of vampires, y'all. Hope you sleep well tonight, bitches. <laughs> well, you're not, I'm not going. They're not going to after I talk. Oh, yes. Because my body is ready. So I'm doing the like modern vampires, vampires now section. But I quickly decided there was two categories within that. So one is like fictional vampires. So kind of where it went from Dracula, our conception of vampires today and where it comes from. And then also the idea of, quote, real vampires, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will do that segment as well. But fictionally, obviously, there's like a very large number of them. There's all sorts of books and movies and TV shows that use vampires in some form. But there's a number of like major cultural touchstones that kind of influence how we think of them today 
since Dracula. So Dracula is the first big one. Um, and yep. I actually saw Dracula has appeared in more films than any character except Sherlock Holmes. Oh, wow. So like the, one of the most common characters to ever like. I believe that yeah. though because he's so iconic. Right. And who was that guy? Who was that famous Dracula? Famous Dracula actor. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, God. He like, it's literally the second I say it. Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi was the sure. one. He was born 1882, 1956. He was like the Dracula. Like yeah. cape, fangs, slick right. back hair, super handsome. Like that yeah. was Bella Lugosi. Yeah, like the mm-hmm. one you picture. Yes. So, And then you got Gary Oldman, LOL. <laughs> oh, Uncle Serious. Um, not, Rest in peace. He's not an uncle. I don't know. Anyway. Um, not over it. I'm never going to be over it same but anyway so after dracula which was in like the early i want to say 30s like very early on in film Mm -hmm. in america is dracula yeah the next big vampire in culture is in the 60s and 70s so there's a series called dark shadows and it was kind of this like fun lighthearted take on spooky things and different creatures it was very like soap opera-esque um kind of dramatic Right. And it was done against the backdrop of like Vietnam at the time. And so one of the things that was popular then <laughs> was to. Sorry, that's so weird. Well, one of the things that they were saying was popular in like TV then was to take dark things and make them a little bit lighter. So specifically horror tropes. That it was like people didn't okay. want to watch like dark and scary shit at home. So they tried to take okay. some of these classic things and twist them. And Dark Shadows okay. was like doing fine. But then in the second season, it introduced a character named Barnabas who was a vampire and it became like one of the most popular shows at the time. Like people loved this vampire. So that was kind of the first big instance of a non Dracula cultural vampire was this kind of really soapy fun show that humanized vampires in a way. Right. It was more about like their inner life type thing. Right. Like they're not demons. They're just people. Yeah. Who are undead or dead and like to drink blood. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. The next big one, and this is probably like the biggest one in at least American culture, is The Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice, which are the books that eventually yes. became Interview with a Vampire, the movie. So it's always been my goal to read those books. Yeah, a lot of what we think of today as vampires come from those. So like things mm-hmm. that are common, like self-healing, um, certain things you see often flying, shape-shifting. The ability to live on animal blood when you can't get to a human, right? The idea that they're prettier and smarter and better and more talented than humans are. And that they're like eternal youth, right? Eternal youth and actually immortality in general. The idea that vampires are immortal, a lot of it comes from here. Um, wow. Okay. Like I, the quote from the article I was reading was like, "Sound familiar?" That's because pretty much every 21st century vampire borrowed Rice's whole steez for their own. So, like, that's wow. kind of the foundation of a lot of it is those books, and then ultimately the interview with a vampire movie is a lot of what right. we think of today. Okay. It like glamorizes it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And then you have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, yes. and Angel and Spike as the main vampire characters. And so there was really two things here. One was the idea of subverting like the old image of the little blonde girl who was scared and ran into the dark alley and gets killed by a vampire, kind of turning that on Mm -hmm. its head. 
So the purportedly like feminist tones of the show kind of brought women into the genre in one way. Um, Mm -hmm. And it also led to some comedy in vampire stories, right? It was kind of a teen show. It was a little bit like funny and sarcastic. And so it brought it into- Eric loves Buffy. Yeah. (laughs) It's so cute. That is cute. (laughs) Um, Then there was True Blood. In True Blood, the vampires Mm -hmm. are like a very obvious stand-in for like LGBTQ people. It's like very much done as it's about the fight for vampire rights. And there's like Christian evangelist humans who think that they shouldn't be vampires. And then like these really old vampires who don't want to play nice with the humans and assimilate to society. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's very obviously a metaphor for that. But it also I thought was interesting. I was reading about how it's like a product of the fan fiction era a lot. Where you get a lot okay. of like the crossover supernatural fiction. So it's not just yep. vampires, it's vampires and fairies and witches and werewolves and shapeshifters and mediums and all this stuff at once. Kind of brought yep. vampires into that realm in addition. Which you get in the vampire diaries too. I know I yes. keep bringing that fucking show no, up. That's, I gotta rewatch that's it. That's true. Yeah. Um, and then of course Twilight. i don't even know here so twilight (laughs) this one's for you ashley this one's for you yeah ashley the actual like (laughs) academic argument i was reading was basically that it was seen as kind of a backlash initially to really sexualized vampire fiction so stephanie meyer is a mormon and kind of a prude and so some people saw twilight (laughs) as like a way of very much whitewashing the idea of vampires. So both from a sexual yeah. perspective and a like, no, they're vegetarians. They don't want to hurt yeah. you. Um, right. I would say this is not taken very seriously by most people. Um, it's kind of considered yeah. more of a romance, but I think it's also probably to a lot of people, if you said name a famous vampire, they would say Edward Cullen. For sure. And Absolutely. so I think it's our like, our current touchstone of vampires even though it doesn't actually have a lot of the traits right like they don't avoid garlic i would say that this is our version of interview with the vampire like yes i would say that if you talk to people in like the 90s interview with a vampire is their go-to but i would say if you talk to people now it would be twilight i agree though i would say we have some understanding that the twilight vampires are not like quote-unquote regular vampires Right. right, that like the traits, they're cool vampires. They're cool vampires, but that like the traits. I'm not a regular vampire. I'm a cool vampire. Like we think, like vampires don't like garlic, but in Twilight they do, and that's fine. It's kind of the exception. I don't think we've integrated right. it as our idea of vampires as they all sparkle in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like a weird yeah. thing, but that's definitely the like vampires can get women pregnant even though they are dead and they have no blood flow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Plot hole. Um, but I read a couple like fun things about, you know, how vampires reflect society today. And I could have spent like three hours doing this part, but it was basically like, we could do a whole podcast on this, like always. Um, but it was about like vampires are a lot more sexual now and they're also a lot more disconnected from religion. So the idea of like crosses Mm -hmm. and holy water isn't as heavy. We more give them superpowers as opposed to giving them like anti-religion traits right they're not devils they're just like magical beings of some sort Mm -hmm. um and the other thing is one of the biggest shifts is that today it's much much more common the idea that a vampire falls in love with a mortal or that a vampire Mm -hmm. can stop themselves from feeding on mortals like this vampire mortal relations thing has kind of changed yeah um and then a lot about like 
historically, you know, vampires have really been the reflection of what we're afraid of at the time. Death that we don't understand. Things happening to your body that you don't understand. All of that good stuff. So that's kind of like your fictional rundown. And then we have the the quote-unquote real vampires. I'm going to start with talking about the vampire lifestyle. And (laughs) I don't want to be rude, but this whole otherkin thing, I'm too old for it. I'm too. What do you mean? Do you know what an other kid is? No, I don't. I'm the oh, God. Other kids are it? like people who think they're not people, like very seriously. So someone will be like, I am a cat. Oh. And then they're like, they are a cat. Don't tell them they're a human. Spiritually, like, they are a cat. Oh. And it's like, my body is like physically crazy. Right. And then, like, they're like a cat kin or whatever. Like, Oh, yes. man. So I didn't know these were things. This is a thing. It's a wild corner of the internet. Again, I, you do you. <laughs> you are the, you know the weirdest corner of the internet. I've been on the internet way internet. too long. It's incredible. If I don't know something, I'm like, Sarah probably knows what this means. <laughs> but, and again, like, live your life, but you're not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, I'm really sorry. You're just not. I just yeah. don't. It is very, like, internet based. Right, like it's like a internet quasi religion. I saw it called or whatever, but Oof, yeah. So there's this vampire lifestyle situation, and there's a couple of different categories. I found a list of some different like titles you can have, and one to be fair is role players. So role players acknowledge they are human beings, right? They know they are alive people. They dress up in vampire okay. clothing. They might like sleep in a coffin or avoid the sunlight. They might just participate in, like, role-play games. Role-players know they are human and just like to pretend to be a vampire. And that's fine. You do you. Yeah. But then you get to, like, the vampire lifestyle. So you have sanguinarians who are people who actually consume the blood of other people. Only the blood of other people? Or do they eat other things, too? They have to eat other things. You can't just derive off of blood. Yeah, I believe they eat other things, but they, like, recreationally drink the blood of other people and i'll note there are like societies around the world that drink blood as a practice Mm -hmm. that you do you that's not what i'm talking about here people who think they are vampires and then drink blood is this seems like some white people shit correct even more white people shit this is my favorite one is what is called psychic vampires And they say that they get their nourishment from the aura of other people. So they're like sucking off of your energy. (laughs) And they're a psychic vampire. And then there are hybrids who both consume blood and psychic energy. Of course. Because one's not enough. Yes. And then there are blood donors who are people that do not believe they're vampires but let people who believe they're vampires drink their blood. Wow. Which I have That's to imagine is like weird. a weird sexual thing. I, I don't know it's why. It's gotta else. be. Right. And there are like blood fetishists. So people who like are aroused by blood, drink it during sex, that yeah. type of thing. And like, that's fine. But that that's, is listed. I'm not gonna separate, like. That is listed separately from blood donors. Yeah. So I don't know about that. I don't know why you would let someone drink your blood if it wasn't for sexual pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like people do whatever you want to do for sexual pleasure. I will never judge that. Yeah. But I I think it's interesting if there is like not as much sexual gratification. Right. It's more weird to me when it's not sexual. Yes. Agreed. Yep. 
so yeah, those are, um, you know, real life vampires today, which also means that there are real life vampire slayers. And I tried to look into these. They're mostly internet Christians who send hate email. Like they're not actually trying to slay anybody, but they do call Mm. themselves vampire slayers. So I did enjoy that. (laughs) So they have like angry letter writing. Yeah, exactly. Like stop (laughs) drinking blood. I bet it's really effective. I bet it's yeah. I bet it's. They really probably effective. use the letters to like give other people paper cuts and be like, right. "Yeah, suck yeah. on this, bitch." Perfect. <laughs> oh my god! And so then I want to end by talking about. I think I have four different people who have been called vampires that are real people. So yes. this is basically the true crime segment of quote real life vampires. Um, I would also, I, I can't begin to list the trigger warnings for you. Torture, murder, blood, sexualism, lots of gross things are going to happen here. Yeah. So if you would like yeah. to end now or skip to the very end, acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have a few. But you've sto- made it this far, guys. So yes. really, what what are what have you not heard from us so far? Exactly. We talked about a virgin stallion. So like, I think we're there. That's true. <laughs> and we will start with Elizabeth Bathory, who's kind of the big one. This is like a lot of people will cite her as like the real vampire. And we could literally do mm-hmm. an entire podcast on her. I had to yeah. stop. I was like writing all this stuff. And then I was like, Sarah, the whole episode isn't about her. You have to like get the main <laughs> points. You had to cut it down. Yes. <laughs> so she lived in like the 15 to 1600s. And she was a Hungarian noblewoman from the family of Bathory. And mm-hmm. she is also the record record holder for the most prolific female murderer. The actual cool. number of her victims is disputed. Um, her trial itself claimed about 650. Wow. There are records that show more, records that indicate it might be less, but it's in the hundreds for sure. And so the one piece of background on her is that as a child, she had what was potentially epilepsy. She suffered a lot of seizures. Um, it's believed okay. now that this could have been because of inbreeding between the noble families that that was what led to it but Mm -hmm. she had epilepsy and they didn't really know what that was right they called it falling sickness and one of the ways they treated falling sickness was rubbing blood of somebody without it onto your lips or Hmm. giving them a little bit of the blood and a piece of like skull or bone to calm their episode down so that's just an interesting like they'd eat the skull bone did not specify just said giving them blood and a bit of skull okay that seems that seems very Pliny the elder yes it does (laughs) but it's just interesting background that the way she was being essentially healed as a child was having blood put onto her mouth yeah um but she like an iron thing right but she Hmm. i would say grew up except she got engaged when she was 10 and then she married Mm. this guy at 15 she did refuse Mm. to change her last name because her social standing was higher and So she was like, no, it's staying Bathory. So I was like, okay, one point for that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And so they kind of like live their lives being noble people, whatever. And in the early 1600s, there begin to be a bunch of rumors about what she's doing to like her servants, essentially. And so by 1610, they launch a formal investigation 
into her behavior. So initially they find um, a handful of victims who are like 10 to 14 year old girls. They're usually Mm -hmm. the daughters of lesser gentry who were sent to her court to learn etiquette. So they're getting kind of shipped (laughs) off to like a boarding school there. Right. Um, I'm going to read a a nice long quote from you that's terrible. Um, The atrocities described most consistently included severe beatings, burning or mutilation of hands, biting the flesh Mm -hmm. off the faces, arms, and other body parts, freezing or starving to death. The use of needles was also mentioned by collaborators in court. There were many suspected forms of torture carried out by Bathory. According to the Budapest City Archives, the girls were burned with hot tongs and then placed in freezing cold water. They were also oh covered God. in honey and live ants. She was also oh suspected of cannibalism. So, like, she oh, was doing wow. fucked up stuff to these wow. kids. One of the, Yeah, like, kids. Yeah. These were kids. Yeah, they were mostly, like, teenage girls. One of the really long-standing stories behind this is that she would bathe in the blood of virgins, and that she consi- mm-hmm. that was something she thought brought her immortality. Yeah, and like a tur- yeah, yeah. youth. And this is kind of an unreliable. That like, there's no good records of this, but I don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna say she did at it. At this point, I wouldn't be shocked if she did because yes. of all the really awful shit she did. Yes. Um, but that's sort of where the vampire thing comes from, which is interesting. It's that we have all these like horrible things she did. But then the one that's kind of unsubstantiated is that she would like kill the girls, bathe in their blood to maintain eternal youth. That's where the vampire reputation comes from. Okay. And it's like almost if that she was like so bad, we had to decide she was a vampire or what the case right. might she be. She couldn't possibly have been like a, a human being. She had to be some kind of like demonic. Exactly. Something. And this was definitely yeah. like her trials had over 300 witnesses and survivors testify they found all sorts of physical evidence in her home, right? Like, the, it says the presence of horribly mutilated, dead, dying, and imprisoned girls. Um, like, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, but the good news for her is she was rich, so she just got placed on house arrest until she died. Oh, because, like, it's not like she was using her house to commit these heinous crimes. Exactly. So she's just on house oh arrest. It's fine. Put her out in the middle of the woods. Like, yeah, you're on woods arrest, Cover bitch. her in honey Figure and live ants. That is, that's actually one of the more horrifying things Right? I've heard. That's just so, like, twisted to think of. Oh, God. So. Oh, God. Yeah. And I hate bugs. So right. that's even worse. So, yeah. Not a classic vampire, but she's one of the, like, main people considered, like, the real-life vampire, Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah. Um, I now have a couple serial killers for you. So, Sweet. Peter Curtin um, was a German serial killer known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf. And so he committed a series of murders and sexual assaults in 1929 in Dusseldorf, as you would guess. Yeah. Um, he, prior to that series of assaults and murders, he had like a really long criminal record for things like arson and fraud. And he later confessed to like earlier murders as well. So he later said he committed his first murder in 1899. And basically when he talks about his murders, he talks about blood arousing him. Right. So he talks about all the gory details of this assault that like there's no reason to get into. So I won't. Um, Yeah. But the first one that he talks about, they're like, if it if it took place, we don't have good records. But if it took place, the victim survived. But his statement was that committing that act proved to him that he could reach the greatest heights of sexual ecstasy by doing that. And so he would later report ejaculating at the sight and the sound of blood dripping. 
Oh my god. Um, and so he would go in. And- I mean, that's a mental illness, right? Absolutely. We don't know really what it is, but okay, okay, okay. I mean, it's got to be. There's something wrong. It's got to be. Yeah. It's like um, the thing where you have sex with dead people. Oh, necrophilia. necrophilia. Yeah. I almost called it necromancy, which is not the same thing. <laughs> necrophilia. No, different, different, different. Oh. Necromancy's raising people up from the dead. My bad. Yep. Um, in other murders, he was known to cut either a neck or a temple or a hand to suck blood from it. And these are all things like he has said. He also once um, decapitated a swan to like drink blood from its neck. Oh my God. And this man was out here and he was like, yes, I did all this. Like, this is all straight from him. And he's like, it's because um, I'm oppressed and I want to stick it to the man. And they were mm-hmm. like, but you're not sticking it to the man. You're just killing random people. But and he, swans. Right. But he was like, no, I would really like to stick it to the man. Stick it to the swans. Yes. And so then his ending I enjoyed was shortly before his head was placed on the guillotine, Curtin turned to the psychiatrist and asked the question, tell me, after my head is chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck? That would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. Oh my God. When asked whether he had any other last words to say, Curtin simply smiled and replied, no. Dude, that's when you like say, you know what? We're actually poisoning you instead, buddy. We don't want you getting off on your own execution. Right. Like clearly he likes this. Hang him or something. Oh my God. God. Yeah. Oh. So I would have been like, all right, we're calling this execution off. Get the uh, hangman out here because we're not doing yeah, this. Yeah, he likes it too much. So, Ugh, so that's nasty. So that is the vampire of Dusseldorf. Um, we also have the vampire of Sacramento. So that was a man named Richard Chase. Like California? Yes. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have listened to so much fucking true right. crime. I'm like, how have I not heard of this before? But I just realized when you said his name that I have. Yeah. I have heard of him. Yeah. Richard Chase. So he was an American serial killer, rapist, cannibal, and necrophile. He killed six people in the span of one month, all in Sacramento. Wow. Um, And he was known to drink their blood and cannibalize their remains. I, I'm going to read one. This is probably the worst thing, way worse than anything I just read about this other dude somehow. Um, oh, God. On January 23rd, 1978, Chase broke into a house and shot Teresa Wallen, who was three months pregnant at the time. Three times. So he shot her three times. He then had sexual intercourse with her corpse while stabbing her with a butcher knife. He then removed multiple organs, cut off her nipple, and drank blood from it. Oh my god. He then collected dog feces from the yard and stuffed it down her throat before leaving. (gasps) Oh my god. Oh my god, that is the most horrific thing I have ever heard. The worst. That's worse than the honey ants. Yes. Oh my god. Much worse. The worst thing I read this whole time. But this guy sucked, so I was like, we're gonna talk about him. Yeah, no. And then the police report, so when they eventually found this guy and arrested him, they you know went into his apartment and they found in his apartment the walls, floor ceiling refrigerator and all of his kitchenware was soaked in blood so like all of his pots and pans and plates and forks were covered in blood like some Dahmer level shit yeah wow and then this guy was like clearly a mess like he did a series of interviews at one point and was basically like well i'm really scared of nazis and i'm really scared of ufos and i'm being controlled by them and they forced me to kill so that i could stay alive which is what anybody would do so he was being controlled by nazi ufo's mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. ufo's um, or nazis I, both combined. some combination of the two nazi aliens yes got it got it okay so he okay. was like clearly not well and he did end up dying in jail um but that is the vampire of sacramento oh that's terrible and then i have one more Ugh. that is 
I want to say light, but only because it is lighter than that. Which is <laughs> anything is. Really- I would say Elizabeth Bathory is lighter yes. than that. <laughs> and this is how I ended up here is I saw something that was the lesbian vampire killer. And I was like, I really need to know more about the lesbian vampire killer. Does she kill lesbian vampires? Is she a lesbian vampire? Like what's happening? Okay. I'm really glad you said that. Cause I was like, is she a lesbian or is she killing lesbian? I vampires? believe she it's is a lesbian. Important. I actually, in like my quick reading on her crime, didn't see anything like, I don't know where the lesbian came from. I guess she's just a lesbian. It didn't seem that important to the crime itself. Like literally nowhere in the like Wikipedia article does it mention lesbians. So uh, you know what? Was, when did this take place? Because like it might have been like, I mean, 89. Like everyone is still with it. Okay. So, okay. So people aren't like, you know, on board with people's sexuality. Yeah. Yet. Yeah, that's definitely okay. possible. Okay. Not that, you know, I mean, we're, there's still a lot of shit that needs to be done. Right. A lot but of it was different. Done, but I would say we're better than we are in 1989. Yes. So yeah. um, she's Australian and she was like into Crikey. The, basically. <laughs> Sorry. She had been <laughs> the one word I know how to say. Killing animals and drinking their blood as like a plan for an escalation to murder a man and feed on him. So this was like a very planned out. I'm going to drink this animal blood and then I'll like level up to doing it to a man or whatever. Mm-hmm. So she's mm-hmm. out drinking with some of her girlfriends. Well, Nate, uh, drinking alcohol. Yes, she's out drinking with some girls, okay. um, and just they're checking. like driving around and they're looking for a victim. So like her friends are in on this. Yeah. They're like looking for somebody. They come across oh, this guy named Edward Baldock. He's forty-seven. So these girls are in their twenties, but he's forty-seven. Um, he's a father of four. He's out waiting for a taxi, pretty drunk. Right? He'd been out with friends, like playing darts, hanging out. So one of the girls goes up to him and pretends to be a prostitute and like gets him into the car, lures him into the car and they drive with him near the Brisbane river. And she gets out of the car for a minute and is like, okay, you get undressed. I'll be right back. And so he's getting undressed in the car. And then Tracy Wigginton, who is our lesbian vampire killer, returns to the car with a knife. She stabs him 27 times oh to the God. point where she nearly severs his head from stabbing. Oh my and then god. begins drinking his blood. No. Oh my god. This like where are her friends? In the other car, I think. They're just like watching her do this. Yeah, they're all in like they all are out searching for a victim together. So they don't do it, but they're with her. Oh my god. Um they must have gotten in trouble too. They did. And so they're not even okay. good at this because like police show up to the scene and Tracy Wigginton left her bank card there. Like literally her debit card is sitting with this dead guy's clothes. Jesus. All four of them get arrested. Wigginton is out here and she tells police she felt nothing and watched him die while smoking a cigarette. Like, she just does not care. Wow. Um, She pleads guilty. The other women don't. But they all say on the stand that she had always claimed to have vampire tendencies. And that the reason for that What the- does that mean? I don't know. And that the reason for the murder was for her to be able to, like, drink a guy's blood. And they were all cool with it? Like, what kind of friend group is this? Right. Well, and I'm really curious because... So, Whittington pled guilty to murder. There was no trial. She's convicted. Sentenced to life imprisonment. Right? Right, right. Um, but... Well, we'll get to that. Um, one of the girls is also convicted of murder. One is convicted of manslaughter. And one is cleared. And so, I'm really curious, like, what the difference was between those. But I couldn't yeah, find... I couldn't find good details on it. Maybe the one girl that was cleared was like, no... Don't do it. And the other two were just kind of like, well, we knew she was going to do something like this. Yeah. And so, so this is in 1991 that she is sentenced to life in prison. 
a good year. A fun thing about the U.S. versus other countries is that life in prison doesn't really mean the same thing here as it does there. Here it means, like, your whole life. Yeah. Um, other countries often have, like, a minimum. So she's given life in prison a minimum of 13 years. So she becomes eligible for parole at some point, but she gets denied because she's, like, assaulting fellow inmates. She assaulted a prison guard. So she makes a bunch of um, unsuccessful parole attempts. Until 2011, when it was successful, and she was released from prison in January 2012. What? And is just living her life in Australia. Oh my god, this woman is out there? Yep. Wow. Oh, that's chilling. Yep. One of the messed up things is the other girl who was convicted of murder, there's like conflicting reports on if she was ever released or not. That's Fuck. So, like, she may or may not be out of jail, but, like, the main girl, lesbian vampire killer. So, was she a lesbian? I guess so. I, like, literally tried to find that because I was like, why does it keep calling her that? But she wasn't even a vampire killer. She herself was a vampire. Right. Well, and so that's why I think it was, like... She's a lesbian vampire. vampire or, like, adjectives for her. And a killer. Yes. Like, the okay. lesbian vampire okay. who was a killer. Got it. Right. Okay. But I literally, okay, that makes I don't sense. know if it's just because if I Google her name and lesbian, like all that comes up is that the only thing I could okay. find is that her and her girlfriends, I keep saying girlfriends, like a 90 year old woman. I sound like my mother. Um, her and, <laughs> Get your pocketbook. <laughs> yeah. Her and the like female friend she was out with seemed to have been at a gay bar earlier that night. Okay. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're lesbians. But I could definitely see the people of the 90s, like, harping right. on the fact that she was probably or possibly lesbian. Yeah, and, and I not... guess that she, like, specifically wanted to kill a man probably feeds into that. Right. So right, right. that was, like, the best I could find. But it's Like the she-woman man-haters club kind of thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, well, it was her and a bunch of girls, and obviously they wanted to kill a man. They're lesbians. Right, right. Um, <laughs> which right. seemed like the least of their problems. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're like glossing over the fact that she was like a vampire yeah. and honing in just on a the lesbian. fact that she was lesbian. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, unclear. Yeah. But in conclusion, are vampires real? I guess that depends on how you define it, man, is literally what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't even say anything else because yeah. that's that's true. It depends on how you define a vampire. So yeah. are there vampires in the world? Sure. Yeah. Are there vampires like what maybe most people would anticipate vampires being like? Probably not. I don't know. Probably not. But maybe they are. And maybe we're just yeah, those like foolish mortals that live in this life of darkness sure. that we have no fucking idea. Cannot like the Volturi is like real and shit. Dakota Fanning's out there somewhere like actually a vampire. Yeah. That's probably it. <sighs> that would be... You know, I feel like I'd be pretty bummed out if I died and I was like, wait, all this shit was real? Like, <laughs> I didn't get to experience any of it. Like, I think I'd be pretty bummed. Not the vampire part necessarily, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Because if there's vampires and there's like werewolves and shit too. So that's true. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So that's well, this was a spooky episode. It was. I'm so sorry about we the things I said. It. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I feel like we. We did some really gross dark shit. Yeah. This was this was pretty gruesome. But I'm I'm here it. for it. This is this is the Halloween that we need yep. because Halloween is normally my time and I got to tell you 
this whole fucking year has felt like one horrific nightmare. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even feel like Halloween anymore. It doesn't. Right? Like, I don't even have, normally I have, like, a costume with my coworkers. Yeah. Like, this year I'm like, I have a mask that has dogs and <laughs> costumes on it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wear all black. Ooh. Like, that's pretty much what my Halloween costume is going to be. Yep. So. All right. Well, thanks for listening, y'all. Happy Halloween. Be safe. Yeah. It's a full moon out there, so just be careful. True. Don't get and, eaten uh, by a vampire. Don't get eaten by a vampire. That's not what vampires do. Listening. We just spent a whole episode on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need you to keep listening, so please don't get eaten by a vampire. But yes. It would be very inconvenient for our listener base. That's true. So, so for us. If you have any respect for us or this podcast, don't get eaten yep. by a vampire this Halloween. Yep. All right. Bye. bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at whatthehistorypodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.